Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey folks, it's Amy Lane here, and I am back with another welfare for you guys. Winter has always been the time of the year when search is around boosting the immune system and the best foods for immunity peak. Unsurprisingly though, given the global pandemic, our immune system has not been far from our thoughts or our Google search history for about a year now. Perhaps you found yourself searching, can vitamin C prevent a cold? Or will taking vitamin D protect against COVID-19? Both are valid queries, as is, Is it okay to run with a cold? And how long should I wait to exercise after having COVID? Today, we're tackling those questions and many more. At the time of researching this show, the UK reported 3.9 million COVID cases and sadly, 112,000 deaths. This virus has touched us all in some way or another. To borrow from a poem published about the pandemic, We are all in the same storm, but we are not all in the same boat. So I just wanted to say, if you're listening in and have lost a loved one, then my thoughts are with you. Or if you're one of the one in 10 people in the UK reported to be suffering from suicidal thoughts or feelings in the past two weeks as a result of the pandemic, then please know you're not alone and help is available. In the show notes, you'll find some helpful resources. For many of us, running is our crutch. It gets us through these tough times. It's crucial to our mental and our physical well-being. For me, running helps me get out of my own head and it keeps me feeling positive as it gives me something to celebrate. Those little milestones, those runs, they keep me on a positive track. And it goes without saying, I'm sold on the benefits of brain health, heart health and more. But are there times when running can do more harm than good? namely on those days sponsored by LEMSIP and Night Nurse? And why are people reporting that returning to exercise after COVID is tougher than they ever imagined? To share an expert insight on whether we should hang up our running trainers at the first sight of a cold, or whether there are circumstances when it's okay to sweat through the sniffles, is Dr Jenna Machocki. Last year, Jenna published the book Immunity, The Science of Staying Well, which is all part of her obsession over understanding how nutrition and lifestyle interact with the immune system in health and disease. On today's show, we discuss that and more, and Jenna also shares a knowledge bomb about our immune system. Jenna, thank you for joining us on Welfare today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. How are you in this weird old world? Oh, yeah, getting there. I mean, we're all sort of now, this is the norm, isn't it? Getting through the days. (laughs) You have a bit of a multi-hyphen career. Would you share a little bit about that with us and what your general day-to-day looks like? So I think it's so interesting before we do a deep dive into this episode's topic. Yeah, that's a good place to start. I started Instagram a couple of years ago because 
I kept seeing lots of people writing loads of rubbish about the immune system. And it, I, I started Instagram as a kind of sandbox for ideas just to put out things that were going on in my mind, things I found interesting about the field, and then blended that in with getting through the day-to-day life as a working mum of twins. And uh, and it's really grown. And I love that. I love that it's kind of creative and it gives me a bit of an outlet. But I'm also juggling that with a work full-time. I'm a lecturer at the University of Sussex. I also see people one-to-one as well. So the days are full. <laughs> and last year, you managed to find the time to write a book. Yes. Well, you yeah. must have written it the year before, but it came out last year. Yeah. I mean, I could never have imagined that when I wrote the book, it would come out at the peak of the first wave of coronavirus. So it came out last March. And when I wrote the book, I was thinking about how we tend to always think about our immune system as something that protects us from infection. But on the other hand, our immune system is causing us problems like allergies, autoimmune disease, chronic inflammatory diseases. It's implicated in things like mental health and things that are huge killers like heart disease. And so I was kind of like modern life has shifted and our immune system has shifted in in a negative way. So hopefully I can sort of bring a little bit of clarity to that and give people a bit of a handle on what their immune system is and isn't and dispel a few myths uh, and figure out the, the key ways we can all support it. And I think that's actually a perfect place to start. Should we start with discussing actually what is the immune system? Why do we get sick? Yeah, that's a great place to start. I mean, it's the immune system, we, we talk about it as if it's one thing, like it's a binary switch that we turn on and we turn off again. But actually, it's, it's a whole series of switches in a sense. It includes things like all of our white blood cells, and there's many different types that do many different things. It includes organs like our bone marrow, thymus, our lymph nodes. But it also includes the barriers to our body, so the airways, the gut, the skin, and it also includes our microbiota. So these are actually part of our immune defenses. So it's found in every corner of our body, under the skin, it's in our blood, it's it's everywhere. And it's kind of a reactive system reacting to what is happening in your environment. And primarily, we think of it as reacting to infections, but it's also reacting to signs of danger and damage. A few years ago, I, I tore the ligaments in my ankle. I didn't break the skin. There was no infection, but I had huge swelling because my immune system was there at work. It was um, dealing with that damage and repair and trying to return the tissue to normal. So that's its kind of key aim is to get rid of whatever the, the danger sign is and get things back to normal. So as much as it's about turning it on it's also about turning it off and half of the immune system is actually designed to turn the other half off because when it is switched on it can actually damage our own tissues as much as it can damage infections that um, might have invaded us. I find that really interesting because I'd always thought of it as like a cool centre in my body. Like if I imagine the immune system, I thought it was more like a whole load of people taking calls. It was kind of its own department as opposed (laughs) to being everywhere. That's kind of a a cool way to think about it. I guess it is its own department and it's making calls with all the other departments like your metabolism and your your hormone system. It's it's interacting with all of those, but it is everywhere in our body um, because I guess there's things that could damage any part of our body or invade any part of our body. So it's got to be all over the place. 
And does our body react in the same way to, say, a stomach bug or, say, the common cold or COVID? Is it the same immune response or does it react differently depending on what the danger is? That's a good point. We have different sensors that are going to pick up different kinds of challenges. So the specific sensors that that know that it's a virus, because they look for sort of patterns and features that are common in viruses that will say, okay, this is the kind of immune response we need for a virus. And then there'll be others that are more um, specific for bacterial infections, for example. So we do have different sort of flavors of immune response, depending on what the nature of the challenges. And how about looking after the immune system? Because I think one of the big things that people always Google, I know I did a bit of a deep dive into Google Trends yesterday, and immunity boosters is big. And does taking vitamin C help boost my immune system? Those type of queries are really big. Like people, people think about their immune system when they get sick. So should we be supporting our immune system on a day to day basis? And if so, how can we do that? Yes, I mean, this is something I was so passionate about when I was writing the book, because your immune system is working really hard all the time. Because we, we live in a germy world, we're challenged with things all the time, toxic fumes from an exhaust, for example, there's lots of challenges on our on our human physiology all the time. And our immune system's constantly dealing with that. So we should be supporting it all the time, not just panicking and scrambling for the vitamin C when we get those symptoms of being unwell. I mean, technically, there's no real way to boost your immune system. Perhaps vaccination would be the only kind of scientific way that we would say that that was correct. But what we can do is support it and make sure it's functioning at its best for us. And I I think it's important to say that there is only so much that we can do because some of our immune system is out of our control. There's no way to be completely invincible. But there is a lot of things that we can do. In terms of things like vitamin C, we have several micronutrients. So these are the vitamins and minerals that are essential. So it means we cannot make them. We must get certain amounts from our diet. And if we're deficient in any of those, then we will see a negative impact on our immune system. So that means taking more than you need if you're not deficient won't necessarily make your immune system work better than it does at its normal baseline. And in some cases, taking too much can actually be detrimental. So if you take too too much of one nutrient, it can actually block the uptake of other nutrients, which is, I think, why having food as a sort of first port of call to get your nutrition is the best approach, because it's more physiological in terms of getting what we need. But there is cases where supplementation can be useful. And vitamin C, I think, has this legacy of being one that does play a really important role in the immune system, but there's many others that do also. And our needs really increase when we're sick. So we can see a huge drop in the levels of vitamin C in our body when we're fighting an infection because the immune cells are using it up so much. But it's also found in so many foods and it's really easy to get what you need and recover what you need. And I would just caution anyone against taking any huge doses of vitamin C because it can have a lot of other negative side effects. And just be careful because many of the clinical trials will use insanely high doses, but they're done in a very controlled way with a medical support team there. You've mentioned that food plays a massive role. What foods do you suggest are really good for maintaining a healthy immune system? 
I know you've mentioned food time, vitamin C, and that's not just oranges, guys. When I started <laughs> looking at food time, vitamin C, I was like, Jesus, I've been kind of going a bit wrong. For instance, there's there's obviously blueberries, isn't there? But there's also, isn't there the humble potato got vitamin C? Yeah, yeah. even some meats have vitamin C inside. Yeah. It's crazy to think about. Yes, I think the, the whole field of nutritional immunology has really moved away from individual nutrients. So it sort of goes without saying you don't want to be deficient in any of the key vitamins and minerals. But what we do need to do if we're thinking of that long-term health, long-term support of your immune system, kind of longevity proofing our diet, we need to think about the overall pattern of what we're eating. And I think this is much more helpful for people than giving people a list of foods to eat, because really it's about diversity and abundance of fresh produce. It's about diversity of fiber, because we know that the gut microbiota, these good bugs in our tummies are are instructing our immune system and educating our immune system how to function properly. And if we don't feed them, then we're not going to give our immune system the best training. So it's about fiber to support this gut microbiota. And it's about color. So getting all those plant pigments from the eating the rainbow phrase, because these pigments and plants, are they're part of the plant's immune system. So because plants can't run away, when insects come along and want to eat them, they produce these chemicals that deter any uh, insects. And when we eat, we eat them, they actually help upregulate our own uh, defenses. They've got antioxidant properties. They've got anti-inflammatory properties. Some of them are antimicrobial. Um, we just don't have a recommended daily allowance for them yet because there's so many thousands of them and we're still working out the science behind how they all work. But it's something that we should all be aiming for is just plant colour, plant diversity in our diet. And the other thing is protein is so important. If you imagine your immune system fighting an infection, all those cells and antibodies um, that are being produced, they're all built from proteins. So you need to have the raw materials there to support that. And actually not eating enough protein is was probably one of the leading causes of having a deficiency worldwide. So protein is really important. And then fats, they make up the membranes of our immune cells. Our immune cells use certain fats to produce certain components of fighting infection and resolving inflammation. So thinking of the omega-3 fats as being one of the most important set of fat molecules that we need to get in our diets from oily fish, or if you don't eat oily fish, then um, supplementing is really uh, something I would suggest. It's both easy, I think, and also slightly tough at the moment to be on top of our diets because actually we've got the advantage that we can pre-plan all of our meals, do one big shop because we're at home, we know where we're going to be, all of that type of thing. But then there's also the disadvantage that we are all probably comfort eating a little bit and are buying more snacks and treats in than maybe we would normally do. I mean, I fall in victim for the two types of hot cross buns for £2.50 at Marks and Spencers. (laughs) (laughs) And so yesterday I had both a blueberry one and a chocolate orange one and I got to the end of the day and I was like gosh my diet is so lacking in 
colour today just because I've been doing some comfort eating. Do you do the same? <laughs> I think this is why the patterns are important. Getting to the end of the week and saying, how did I do overall? Not getting annoyed at ourselves because of one day where we might not have had, you know, as many vegetables as we think would be a good idea. So it's about looking at that overall pattern over a week, not zooming in on an individual meal and getting upset. And I also think we need to be kind to ourselves. Like there's actually a lot of scientific literature on self-compassion being really good for the immune system. So for me, this is something that I just can't get out of my mind. Even with the perfect diet in the world, if we're not being compassionate to ourselves and taking care of our mental well-being and all these other aspects of our of our well-being, then even the perfect diet is not really going to be serving you well. So that's why it's about, you know, this whole approach. And we have to get some joy from somewhere. That's also really important for our immune system. The endorphins we produce can directly influence the function of our immune cells. So life will return to normal. I think having little plans in place, having small achievable goals in place can can help keep you on that track of getting what you need into your diet every week and then still having space for those times that we just need to really indulge and enjoy. And how about exercise and our immune system? So I think there's been conversation in the past about how intense workouts, so really long runs or doing quite a lot of HIIT training on repeat can, to use a term borrowed from the internet, weaken our immune system. Is there any truth in that? That's a really good point. So I wrote a whole chapter in the book on exercise and the immune system. And I actually consulted with um, this chap called Professor Michael Gleason, who's kind of the godfather of exercise. And he's retired now, but he's kind of a, a wealth of knowledge. And what sort of happened was that a lot of the old studies done quite a while ago found that athletes going to these events where there's loads of people and, you know, they had to do something like a marathon or a very intense exercise event, we're actually having higher incidences of getting sick. So this kind of led to people to think, yeah, exercise is suppressing the immune system and leaving you open to infection. Now, more recently, this has been sort of revised and we realized going to a big sporting event just means you're in this environment with loads of people. And we've all kind of learned this year about COVID and how easily germs spread. And the more people come together, the more likely you're going to get germs spreading between people. So it's not necessarily that exercise weakens the immune system. A single bout of exercise can actually be very uh, rejuvenating for the immune system. It can immobilize all your immune cells. It gets your lymphatic fluid flowing. It allows your cells to perform a sort of surveillance function. So they're better at looking out for things going wrong. And it also has an overall anti-inflammatory effect. And so it removes any kind of residual baseline inflammation, which we know is actually a negative thing and can lead to chronic disease later down the line. So in general, exercise is very good for the immune system. But saying that there are situations where it can be suppressive for the immune system. So it's it's a stress on the body. It leads to rises in stress hormones. So the more intense and prolonged the exercise, the more you're going to have this rise in stress chemistry. 
And that's got a directly suppressive effect on your immune system. It's also energetically costly for your body. So the more exercise you're doing, the more energy requirements are going to rise. And your immune system is actually quite an energetically costly system in itself. So you have this battle for who gets the pick of the resources that are available And if you're not fueling your workouts correctly, then you're going to do that at the detriment to your immune system. So it is possible that exercise can be suppressive for your immune system. And I think it's just important to consider it a stress. Remember that it is a stress, so it needs a certain amount of recovery to deal with that stress. It needs a certain amount of fuel to be able to do the exercise you want to do and also reserve enough resources for your immune system. And I think that if you have these things in balance, then you can train hard and you won't have any increased risk of um, infections. But if you're starting a marathon training plan and you just go from zero to 100, clocking loads of miles and don't take a rest day, then obviously something's going to give, right? And it's Exactly. That's a key point. Ramping it up too quickly has actually been linked to more of a detrimental effect on the immune system. So it, it is really about having a plan in place if you want to do an event like marathon or something that's, you know, an endurance event, something that's really demanding on the body and just being aware of your starting point. And maybe it's going to take you a bit longer to get there because you have to incrementally increase rather than just going straight to 100. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And let's talk about running through illness. I think there's going to be many runners listening in today that have potentially had a cough, had a cold, but have been so hell-bent on achieving their perfect training week or getting in another run that they've gone out and they've ran through that illness. Does that do more harm than good? Or is there, can we have a certain level of illness in our body and still add this stress of exercise and be okay? Oh, I think this is a really good question. And I actually wrote a bit of a guide about this in the book because I it was something that I was seeing a lot. I, I'm someone who loves exercise, so I know how hard it is to just have to miss sessions in the gym or training sessions because you've caught a cold and you're just feeling a bit lousy. And I think it's important to keep in mind that there is a triaging of energy. And if your immune system's fighting an infection, you're going to have less energy available for other things. I think if 
you don't have severe symptoms and you're over the worst of a bit of a head cold, but you still feel pretty depleted, then there's really little benefit to putting yourself through some sort of heart pumping, calorie burning workout because you just don't have the resources there. But something like a walk might be a good idea, some gentle mobility work, some stretching. I think it's really about listening to your body and making those exercise choices whilst being really honest with yourself. A sort of general rule of thumb is that if you're over the worst of it, then it's okay to do exercise, but you might not want to go straight back in at what you were pre-getting sick. And it might even improve how you feel if you're at that sort of tail end of being unwell. But if you really don't feel well, you've got a fever, you've got body aches, your body is screaming, I just want to lie on the sofa and withdraw from the world, please don't exercise. (laughs) And that's the thing, isn't it? I think we all forget that as you've mentioned, exercise is a stress. And so when you are sick, you need to like support yourself, be kind to yourself, do everything to help your body fight Mm -hmm. that off and recover. So if you add on the extra stress of exercise, then it's just a self-defeating situation. You satisfy your ego and (laughs) (laughs) don't do much for your body. Are you good at listening to yourself when you're sick because because of your expertise and you sit on the sofa and make sure you really do that self-care? I think probably 10 years ago, no. (laughs) Probably now I am because I just, you have to sort of eat, sleep and breathe all the scientific literature and you, you have to be a good example as well. And I think as somebody who loves exercise, has always loved exercise, I suffered two big injuries just over a year ago and I'd never been injured in my life before so I'd never had something that stopped me exercising but I was in a car accident I broke my arm and then I tore the ligaments in my ankle and I was just I just couldn't do anything for three months all I could do was sort of sit and not move because everything hurt and that was a kind of lesson because when I went back to the gym all I was doing was mobility I didn't touch a weight I didn't get my heart rate up but it was painful and it was slow a year ago I couldn't raise my arm up above my head but now I can lift a weight above my head so it's kind of think of it as a short-term investment for your long-term well-being not exercising because you're sick it's going to get you better quicker and back to strength quicker so sitting it out in the overall picture is a small sort of drop in the ocean and my mindset has really changed from my exercise goals is because when I'm 80 if I'm lucky enough to live that long I want to be mobile and fit and able I want to be able to do things for myself when I want to I don't want to feel like I'm plagued with immobility or that kind of thing and so I think that we need to have a shift in our mindsets towards exercising for our long-term well-being, not for our short-term aesthetic goal. And I think if we all do that, we will be much better off because we'll start being a bit more diverse in how we exercise. It's not just about smashing a personal best or reaching an aesthetic goal, but it'll be about caring for our mobility, caring for our joints, making sure that they are working in their full range of motion, as well as maintaining muscle mass as we get older, which is really important for our health in so many ways, and also maintaining a healthy body weight. 
And do you think that diversity and exercise is key to supporting our immune system? Because I'm honestly, I'm still so shocked that our immune system is more than this call center I had in mind. I thought it was this one small department in the body. But to realize that there's so many areas of the body that play a role in it, I'm assuming that actually we do need to be looking after our body through various types of movement, movement, not just one. Exactly. I mean, I think people will have their preferred sports and their their goals. They might want to smash their marathon PB or lift heavier than they have in the past. And those things are fine. But I think the, the baseline should be just diversity and abundance. So cardio, getting your heart rate up a few times a week for around 30 minutes is really important. And incorporating strength exercises. For anyone who's over 30, the sad thing is that your muscle mass starts decreasing from around now. And if you don't use your muscle mass, you lose it. And it plays such an important role in our immune system. Really recently, they discovered that when you're doing strength training and you're putting resistance on your muscles, your muscles are producing these special chemicals that actually act on this gland called the thymus gland, which is in your um, neck, and that produces T cells. So T cells are one of the kind of master controller cells of your immune system. And your muscles keep the thymus rejuvenated because the thymus starts to shrink again from around your 30s. It's called thymic involution. So your thymus shrinks, it gets worse at producing fresh new T cells. But when we um, use our muscles, it rejuvenates this, it keeps it live and active. And so it keeps our immune system young. And we've seen with COVID that aging is a major concern for severity of disease. So aging makes your immune system decline, but we can sort of mitigate that somewhat by resistance exercise. So I would say to anybody who only does cardio, get some resistance into your week, however you find to do it, find fun ways to do it. You don't have to be there in the weight section of the gym, but there's lots of different ideas online just get some resistance and, and keep it up into your old age. It's interesting you mentioned the, the use it or lose it point because I recently stood on some scales and I don't weigh myself, but um, because I can't take my little boy Huxley to be weighed at the moment, and we bought some scales just to check on feeding and things to make sure he's putting on weight. Yeah. And they're a set of smart scales. And what was interesting was I obviously had to stand there see all my stats and then we put him on when I was looking at all my stats it's the first time in my life that my body fat percentage has been up in the 30s and that's only because my muscle mass has gone down so much because for the past four months whilst I've been recovering I haven't been strength training in the way that I did before and it does show in my everyday movement so whilst I'm doing completely different things I'll go to reach for something or I'll go to lift something up which is just a normal household object a bag of shopping and I don't have the same strength yeah Um, it's unbelievable isn't it and mm. it will come back and I think yeah if you are someone who's active from childhood then you have a certain amount of muscle memory and and once you do put that resistance on your muscles again it will come back but I see muscle and fat as kind of the yin and yang of the immune system they're both immunologically active tissues so they've got they're full of immune cells they produce lots of chemicals involved in the immune system and having the right balance is really important to the overall balance of your immune system a healthy 
body weight with a healthy amount of lean muscle mass is really important. So we don't want to get rid of all of our body fat. We want to just have a kind of good ratio of both. And that's going to really be the foundation to support um, proper immune function. Because actually when I've been at my leanest, it was when I actually got my sick. And I think that's probably all of that playing into the same thing. And also I obviously wasn't recovering enough. I was doing a hell of a lot of exercise. So (laughs) I was just beating my body from all from all angles um can we move on to talk about covid because i think we can't do this episode without talking about the global pandemic that's going on let's start in the beginning with covid just so that we can all understand how it differs to the common cold and flu and how our body's reacting differently to it yeah i mean telling the difference can be quite tricky because colds flus and covids all do share a lot of symptoms but they're caused by different viruses so the flu is caused by an influenza virus the cold predominantly in the UK is caused by rhinovirus but it can be caused by some other coronaviruses in the family which the SARS-CoV-2 sits in and they all generally are respiratory viruses that affect the respiratory tract Colds tend to only affect the upper airways, so they're not going deep in the lower airways, whereas COVID is kind of unusual that it can affect either the upper airways or the lower airways, which is why we might get people with really mild symptoms and those with really severe symptoms. I think things like typical cold symptoms like sneezing and runny nose, they're not as common for coronavirus. It seems to have the high temperature, the cough, you know, you feel the shortness of breath. And then flu is different in that it doesn't normally cause you to lose your taste and smell, whereas this is now a recognised symptom of coronavirus or of the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. So there's a lot of shared symptoms, but I think the one thing about SARS-CoV-2 is that because it's new, we don't have any prior immune memory of it. Whereas with colds and flus, because these are seasonal and we're always exposed to them, we have some kind of immune protection already there. So this is why there was a case for calling it pandemic when it first spread. And so there's a lot to understand about the disease and why it's it can be very severe for some people. I think the only way to definitively know what you've got is to go for a COVID test, though. So if you are concerned that would be the best point of call. What about the people that are asymptomatic? Because I'm hoping that if anyone listens in and they have suspected COVID or they have COVID, mm-hmm. they have stopped running completely and they're in, they're respecting the isolation and they're not going out and about. But how mm-hmm. about the people that are asymptomatic so their body hasn't responded with these signs and symptoms? Are they okay to continue exercising because they don't know they've got it? Or would <laughs> going for a run and being asymptomatic be a whole situation you know unless we're testing everyone all the time there's probably so many people that have gone when gyms were open they've gone to the gym and their workout had no idea that they were infectious it might be because they have some immunity from being infected with another type of coronavirus so we know there's some maybe some cross reactivity it could be that they just received a low dose of the virus there's sort of many reasons why someone might be asymptomatic but it's possible and I've I've got this from sort of anecdotal evidence from people who wear like tracking devices that when they are not 
performing in the gym to their normal standard and they start to notice on their device that their heart rate's a bit different, their sleep's a bit different, that it's often because their body's doing something and they just don't know about it. So they're dealing with an infection, but they don't have symptoms. So I think if people are a bit kind of unsure, book a test, but just to be on the safe side, stay home because yeah, you might be spreading something and you don't want to, to be doing that. We all need to get out of this <laughs> pandemic. Yeah. It's interest, interesting that you mentioned the data because actually I know that professional athletes, one of the things that a lot of them have to do in the morning is send their resting heart rate through to their coaches. And right. if their resting heart rate is higher than normal, they mm-hmm. don't train because it's a sign that there is something going on in their body that they don't know about. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it, it, there's something to be said for tracking. And how about, you mentioned earlier on about people not necessarily picking back up where they left off if they've been sick and they're returning to exercise. Do you have any kind of guidance on how people can return to exercise? Should they be doing a phased return to exercise? Should it be done over a week, two weeks? I think in general, there's sort of no clear evidence-based way to guide a return to exercise. But with covid They've, there's recently been a few publications suggesting a path for how people should return to exercise safely. We should aim to be asymptomatic for seven days, so seven days without symptoms. And if you've had a mild to moderate COVID situation, then you can start with a sort of phased approach. I think if you've had a severe illness or you've been hospitalised, then you've, you've just got to talk to your healthcare team before you even consider starting. But in general, once you're symptom free, then the first phase should just be working on your breathing because obviously it affects the lungs and we want the airways to be working normally so that they can cope with the demands of exercise. Stretching and mobility, walking, anything that's moving that lymphatic fluid around your body, this is kind of like the circulatory system of your immune system. So it's a bit like the blood, you have lymphatic vessels all over your body, but it doesn't have the heart pumping it around. It relies on your muscles moving. So moving your muscles really gently with just mobility work and doing this for seven days before before you move on to the second phase, which is really low intensity exercise. So just slightly challenging your heart rate, doing stuff around the house. So it could be like cleaning out the spare room. Uh, oh God, you've, you've seen my <laughs> spare room, haven't you? You know that it needs clearing out. I can, I can get my steps in just from a day of like blitzing the house. <laughs> it's a big job. <laughs> 15, 20 minutes of these kind of light tasks, like light strengthening, yoga, and then doing that for around seven days before moving on to more moderate stuff where you your heart rate is getting more elevated. You might have a brisk walk or a jog, cycling, something like that. And then phase four, you're going on to something a bit more intense, trying to put together more complex moves. So putting together different functional training exercises at home. Uh, it's quite hard to sort of generalise advice because it, some people will bounce back immediately and some people just won't. And this is something that we're still kind of understanding. So I think it's just about having patience and staying at each phase as long as you need to. It's, as I said earlier, it's really a short-term investment that might have a lot of long-term gains because you don't want to push it too far. And we're still understanding things about long COVID. So that's not 
something you might be sure if you're going to suffer from when you've just come out of the sort of peak of the infection. So I think a guide is do your exercise in the spaced way. And each day you should feel recovered from whatever movement you've been doing. If you start to feel excessively lethargic, fatigued, or have any other symptoms that are concerning you, then talk to your doctor, scale it completely back and and just take your time really. The more I do this podcast, the more that I actually realise that it's all about dialing into yourself and really understanding how you feel. And actually, it seems that a lot of us have to almost go through a situation that makes us recognise that we've been ignoring that before we really understand how we feel and how exercise makes us feel. I know there's one runner who I used to work with and she had COVID back in February 2020. And she's only just getting back to full, it seems, lung capacity and finding what she was doing nearly a year ago manageable. It's incredible. That must be so frustrating. But Mm. I think the more you push it, the longer the recovery is going to be. And that's sort of the hardest thing, isn't it? But it's, it's interesting what you say. I feel like now as a mother, I'm like, you know, you try and tell your kids that you know it's going to be good for them. And then they do the opposite because they have to hard way and then as adults we still do that we have to learn the hard way don't we and then we're like ah right yes I see I need to really tune into my own body (laughs) go on my own pace and one last question for you Jenna what are your thoughts on whether we should all be wearing masks whilst exercising because it seems to be a bit of a hotly debated topic and no one has quite come out and said yes we should be doing it and it's going to happen from this day. Um, there just seems to be varying opinion on it. Yes, I mean, masks has just been a constant controversial issue throughout mm. the whole pandemic. I think in the very beginning, there was sort of not really clear cut guidance on mask wearing because we were looking back at the older studies from other infections previous to COVID and seeing that when people in the community are asked to wear masks, generally they don't wear them properly. It causes them to touch their face much more often and they can actually cause us to spread the infection without realising it. But that's since sort of been updated to say, well, okay, we're in a pandemic. We just need to try and get people to stop that spread of respiratory droplets, which does happen with mask wearing. In terms of exercise, I think it's like you have to think about the degrees of risk. So if you're running outdoors where there's nobody around, obviously you're breathing heavily, you're creating lots of respiratory droplets, they're just dropping to the floor in the middle of like a green space. You're not going to pose such a risk. But then if you're in indoors, you've got to think about the ventilation, the number of people that you're around, the pieces of equipment that are being touched that you could possibly put respiratory droplets on without realising. And the amount of time you're spending in that environment and the people, the amount of time you're spending with the people there, then it's obviously a much better chance of, of things just being mixed around. So I know it's not ideal to wear masks, but I think it's dependent on the environment that you're going to be doing your training in. I know back a few months ago when gyms were open, I was doing reformer Pilates with a mask and kind of got used to it after a while. I don't know about doing anything really high intensity. <laughs> I think I might struggle with the feeling of a mask on my face, but the degrees of risk, depending on the environment, the ventilation, the number of people, the possibility of spread, that kind of thing. So I think it all comes back to awareness again, doesn't it? Yeah. And 
appreciating the situation and taking a moment to all go right what's going on what's best for me how best can I protect others rather than just kind of being a bit mindless with our behavior exactly Oh, Jenna, thank you so much for coming on and sharing that wealth of knowledge. You've really blown my mind. I know there's going to be so many people listening in that's gone, I didn't know that. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Hopefully I shared something interesting. (laughs) Oh, so, so much. For everyone that's listening in that will want to follow you and find out a bit more about the work that you do, would you share the best place for them to do that? Yeah, so I'm most active, I think, on Instagram, which is Dr. Dr. underscore Jenna underscore Machoki. And then I'm also on Twitter doing more kind of academic stuff where I'm just um, Dr. J. Mac, M-A-C-C. I also have a website. It's just my name and um, my book, Immunity, The Science of Staying Well, that came out uh, earlier this year. Brilliant. I will make sure that that's all in the show notes for you guys. Thank you for listening in. Thank you, Jenna, for joining us and have a good week, everyone. I can't wait to catch up with you all soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you found some of this advice helpful. And remember, if you do like the podcast, then please rate, review and subscribe. It really helps other runners find us. Plus, You can also keep up to date with other runners in our virtual crew by using the hashtag Welfare on Instagram and by joining the new Welfare Club on Strava. I look at all your posts and updates and it absolutely makes my day. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm-hmm.